stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Are you interested in creating your very own audio story? All the Best is dedicated to supporting emerging storytellers. You don't need any experience, just enthusiasm. If you're interested, get in touch with us at allthebestradio.com. Over the last couple of years, Melbourne has been experiencing a spike of heroin-related fatal overdoses. Consequently, the Victorian government has been looking to put another safe injecting room in Melbourne CBD, with the most recent talks suggesting Flinders Street Station could be the location. Melbourne's first injecting room in Richmond has helped save 63 people in the last four years. However, despite this evidence of effectiveness, there has been significant community backlash to the idea of a safe injecting room in the heart of the city. This week, we wanted to share a story from the All the Best archives. Originally airing in 2019, this story explores the community impact of the Richmond injecting room. A warning that this episode contains conversations about drug use, overdose, and addiction. Richmond is the best place. I love Richmond. I think Victoria Street is a wonderful place. I think it's iconic. Because it is so, um, such a cosmopolitan area, you know, we've got people from every continent on the planet that live here. It's very dynamic. I love the people. The mixed, they come from everywhere. You know, there's peaking ducks hanging in the windows and the smells and you're hearing different languages. These people all have a strong connection to the inner Melbourne suburb of Richmond. And something else about this area. It's home to a large on-street drug trade and the friendship groups of users that have developed around it. It's a real sense of community there. You know, there are a dysfunctional family at times. You know, it's not all love and happiness, um, but just really taking care of each other. For the past 40 years, drugs have had a huge impact on Richmond, and the community has decided that finally, enough is enough. I'm Aoife Cook, and for the past few months, I've been speaking to local residents, people who inject drugs, and community health workers about the changes they want to see. Judy Ryan is a long-term resident where the suburbs of Richmond and Abbotsford meet. Around here, most people's drug of choice is heroin, and you can see discarded injecting equipment all over the streets and laneways. Look at the syringes here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Syringes, I mean, how many can you see? Ten, perhaps? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I'm just going to show you. Swabs, rubbish. Yep, swabs, I'll show you around here. So look at this. Oh, wow. Wow. There's yellow bottles, tamper-proof bottles as far as the eye can see. There's rubbish. It's just... God. And this is Melbourne, you know, it's two kilometres from Parliament House and the Sofitel. And if you overdosed here, no one would see you, no one would find you. Richmond is a place of extremes. 
sought-after urban cottages sit side by side with tall housing commission blocks. Homeless people occupy the back streets. The main thoroughfare of Victoria Street is discount shops, menus from anywhere in the world, and music spilling from the many bars. And everyone is familiar with the drug trade. We'd have a quiet time and then it'd be full on in our own ways. And you knew that there were undercover police out and about. And all the residents get to know these shifts and turns. We all understand what's happening or there's a new batch on. Like if we hear more ambulances, we know that there must be a new batch out there that's pretty strong. So this is stop number 20 there on the tram and over there. So this is where it's pretty notorious. It's the corner of Lennox and Victoria Street. A lot of deals go on at stop 20. I'll just take you down a little laneway that gets us from this car park into William Street. So William Street's really interesting. It's quite, it's really near Victoria Street and it was notorious for overdoses. And so people in the street decide to take the tops off their taps that are in the front yard of their homes. Go left here. Because people need water to mix up the powder that they get, which is the heroin, and they would go into these homes and would um, turn the taps on, mix up the heroin and inject. So then they'd overdose and or leave the tap running. Well, you know, then we'll just go down right here. And so, um, so people just got sick of it. Judy brings me to a large public toilet block. It's scrub stainless steel with curved walls. So people would go in here, two or three of them at a time, and inject, and they'd come out and they'd collapse here. And so when I was in May last year, I was walking down the street that way, coming home, lovely sunny day, listening to a podcast, and I just heard this screaming, and I, I looked up and... There was a guy here with a woman on the ground and he was screaming and so I came over and rang triple O. The Ambos came and they were working on her and um, and you know she was deceased, she died and I said to this young paramedic, it's, this is Melbourne and it, people are dying in the streets. It's insane and she said, yeah it is. It's preventable stuff. And I was actually very traumatised by that. It took me some months, I reckon, to get over it. Like, I'm better talking about it now, but I was, it was so distressing seeing this woman dead on a street. And uh, I know she was a mother, she had a couple of little kids, and I was thinking about her and her family this year in May. But it was about half past three on a Wednesday afternoon, and the school, Abbotsford Primary School's just up there. So we'll walk up there, and I heard the bell go. And I, I thought, God, and within you know, 10 minutes, little kids are coming past here because the paramedics were still working on this woman. And um, little kids saw her, you know, saw a dead woman on the street. Dealing with events like this has made Judy passionate about improving Richmond. She's now the spokeswoman for the Residents for Victoria Street Drug Solutions. For years, they've been petitioning the government to open a medically supervised injecting centre here to give people a safe place to use drugs. Sydney's King's Cross had similar issues with public drug use and overdose, but these were vastly improved after Australia's first injecting centre opened there in 2001. Death and injury from overdose has been prevented. People have been supported into rehabilitation 
and the whole community enjoys and improved neighbourhoods. But no more were opened, either in Richmond or anywhere in Australia. And we felt we were being taken advantage of. Our goodwill, you know, we'll ring the ambulance, we'll clean up afterwards, we'll ring to get the syringes picked up. I mean, you know, like, you know, out of sight, out of mind for the government. It was just very, um, very unfair and unjust. I asked Judy if it's had an impact on her. It's almost unimaginable because it's just a constant state of being on full alert. It's really stressful. You know, I mean, I get really angry sometimes. Don't get me wrong, I'm not Mother Teresa. You know, sometimes I get really sick of it. I just go, oh my God, but... Just seeing that human misery is just confronting every day. Walking past a laneway, we all look down it. We walk past a little nook somewhere and you look, in, you look there because there could be someone there, you know. The diarrhoea on your fence, bloodied swabs and syringes in autumn leaves and little kids, you know, you're worried about them walking around a corner and seeing someone injecting into their groin It's just, it's full on. It's full on. People who don't live there do not understand 24-7 how imposing it is on your life. And the residents of Richmond aren't the only ones who'd like to see changes for the better. I've been using for 17 years. This is Anna, and she spent much of her adult life in Richmond. She asked me not to use her real name. I currently don't have a a habit, but I do occasionally still use recreationally. I've always worked or been studying. I went to the Victorian College of the Arts and did a degree in fine art. I'm currently studying at RMIT. So drug use is, for me, um, a recreational pursuit. There have been times in my life where it's definitely taken more, more resources than I would like and more of my focus and time. In the last few years, that hasn't been the case. And there have been periods in my life, you know, four or five years, where I haven't used it all. It doesn't occupy a, a great big space in my life, but it is a part of my life. To the extent that some people will go home and have a glass of wine... I go home and use heroin. It sounds like your drug use was quite different in the past. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I was a heroin addict. I've been using daily for about five years, six years, yeah. And I did quite a lot of crime to support my habit. You have a criminal record as well. Yeah, it impacts um, everything I do. That's the reality that I live with and it's something that I have to navigate. The majority of injecting drug users live with shame on a daily basis. It's something that informs the way that you relate to to the community around you. Getting onto a tram, functioning in society as an injecting drug user. Shame and self-stigmatisation, it feeds into a sense of inadequacy. It feeds into a sense of alienation within the community. You think it makes it harder? Ah, oh, without question. Without question.
This shame and stigma that injecting drug users experience is something that Casey Elmore spoke to me about too. She's worked in community health in Richmond for 12 years and she's heard some awful things said about the people she works with. Scum, they don't deserve oxygen, they just need to die. I think the biggest one is when people just say they're just junkies and I find that people who inject drugs really kind of are exposed to some really brutal language. One of my personal favourites was uh, a doctor who once said that um, it was almost, overdose was almost uh, a natural selection process and that came from a doctor, a GP. Stigma and discrimination results um, in the death of many people who inject drugs. It impacts people because they don't access services to get help and care and their health addressed. It's incredibly hard to not just make a doctor's appointment but attend. We're really lucky in Australia to provide um, health care to all, but I think... I think we need to reflect on how we're providing that service at times. I guess people's values shape the way in which we treat other people. It's like when people say that um, people who use drugs or people who inject drugs are tying up ambulance call-outs and um, doctors' time that could be better spent on people that really needed the help, that, that people that deserved that help just because you inject drugs or you use drugs that you don't deserve that same attention the wider community receive. Casey's been present at more than a thousand overdoses and some of them were fatal. You've seen a lot of death and injury. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. There's the people who inject drugs. They've lost so many of their friends and partners and loved ones over decades. It's just gut-wrenching. And then the families. And it's really, really, really horrible and sad. Richmond resident Harache Yilmaz knows the feeling of gut-wrenching grief all too well. My name is Hatice Yilmaz. And um, I come from Turkey. 1982, and I'm an electrician, and I'm community leader. Can say everyone loves me. Yeah, ask everyone knows me. Everyone loves me too. I love everyone too. Her only son took illicit drugs to deal with difficulties in high school. Name is Berish. Yeah. And means this um, Australian peace. When he was a baby, looked like a chappy, and everyone loves him, and everybody say to me, "To he's got a long eyelashes. That's why we come to see him." Harache remembers the day that she first discovered Barash was taking drugs. Around twelve thirty, we come back home. He's already used them. He's been on the couch in his room. And he's got a backpack and syringes there. We find them. And he's got a problem he's himself. 
and in the school he's not comfortable all the time he's uh, sweating and then the homeworks doesn't you know work it out he feels shy to the other people I said one day you're gonna be okay one day you're gonna be okay listen so many people hurt from the lives this is nothing he always said to me too you know the life is beautiful you know getting better 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 he said I, I prayed that time but after nearly four years you know he's gone when he was 26 years old 26 of February 2009 he passed away Adache's story of losing Baresh to addiction is shared by far too many in the community. With 34 local deaths to overdose in 2016 alone, the community has had enough. So, at the end of August 2017, they organised the March to Save Lives. 700 people crowded Victoria Street, a sea of puffer jackets in the rain, They wanted a medically supervised injecting centre so that deaths like Baresh's could be prevented. The march ended to the wail of an ambulance and a man who'd been part of the crowd was treated for overdose by paramedics. The march was the final push in a decades-long campaign by many different groups. And finally, success. On another cold, wet Saturday in June 2018, Doors open to an injecting centre. Casey is the manager, and she showed me around what some are rightly calling the shooting gallery. Okay, so this is our front door, um, which enters straight into our um, entry zone. This is where people come to register. And we have two staff here, and there's a waiting room, some health promotion material. We've got a little bit of an art board that people contribute to. I suppose besides the artboard, it looks like a doctor's <laughs> waiting room. Pretty much, yeah. Craig has come to use the injecting centre with some friends. He's tall, warm and friendly, wears a dark tracksuit and cap and moves fast. I ask him what he thinks of it. Good, actually. It's a bit um, different at first because, like, you got people there and it's like, wow, aren't they, like and you realise nobody's judging you. So it's, yeah, it's strange at first, for the first time, but no, I actually like it. And the security is quite nice, like, and, yeah, when you go in, there's, like, nurses and everyone's really nice and asks you, and then you've got, like, little booths and that. Yeah, you just have your stalls and... Yes, yeah, so I'm not actually, to be honest, that concerned about overdosing and things like that. Because I'm sort of a bit suicidal, so, like, I don't care either way, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm sick of, the, like, the stigma that comes with people that like to do their drugs that way, so, yeah, just somewhere safe to go, really. It's a lot better environment than, say, an alleyway or something like that. There's a lot of oxygen tanks, so... So, oh my God, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. So we go through a lot. Two, four, six, eight. 
24 um, bottles of oxygen ready to go. A lot of the time in, we can provide medical care when people are in the chair, when, in the seat that they're sitting at, but then there are times that we do need to get that person on the floor. So this is our crash mat. Another man I meet outside the centre is Rocky. I ask him what he thinks of it. This, today was my second time. And um, um, I quite like it, actually. Oh, it's clean. Um, yeah, I like it. You know, and I feel more comfortable and relaxed. You know, um, I, don't, I don't have to look over my head and or, or try, try and fit, offend someone or scare someone in what I'm doing. Yeah. And, there's, and, there, and it's good, you know, if you want help, if there's people there to help you. I want to get back on that path of recovery, you know, so, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I I have been using the services here. You know, I have been talking to um, the workers here, and um, yeah, at the moment I'm on um, um, I don't know homeless, uh, and I'm couch surfing at my brother's house, and I'm looking for a place to to rent. I've cut down my drug usage since I've been coming here, and. Um, Asking questions, uh, who to ring. Uh, it's been they've been linking me up to services, which has been very helpful for me. And uh, and I've been listening and I've been talking to them. We go through here. This is aftercare. So people kind of once they're finished injecting, um, they can get a cup of coffee here, tea or Milo. It offers a space for people to engage with staff again and provide additional support where they need. Anna, who you heard from before, has used the centre twice. She's been through difficult times and believes the centre can support the people who need it most. In some ways, I think it offers people an opportunity to, you know, to destigmatise themselves. You know, if you're using it in a way which is clean and in a space which is um, specifically designed for that purpose. Um, it, I think it just removes a lot of the, the stigma and the kind of the aspect of shame which can come with crouching in a toilet or, you know, behind a car to inject yourself. So I think it adds, you know, it provides dignity to people that can otherwise have their dignity removed. In its first week, the injecting centre saw over 400 visits. Trained staff responded to 12 overdoses and there were no deaths. Casey believes that the centre is going to transform life for Richmond's injecting drug users. People in their community were dying um, or at risk of dying, so there was already a sense of having to take care of each other, watch over each other and keep each other alive. And I think from what I've seen now, what the injecting room is providing is other clients, bringing other clients there and um, encouraging people to use it. I think this is just the start and I think we're going to be in an incredibly busy service. Drug use is a complex issue and there are so many benefits to an injecting room but it's not going to solve the issue of um, drug use in our community. It's, it's going to save lives. It's going to um, get people into treatments and other support services, but it's not the silver bullet. It's not going to 
cure anything. It's literally going to keep people as safe as we can until they're ready for change. And it's not just people who use drugs who've noticed things are different. Local resident Judy is barely able to hide her relief and excitement when she takes me around the streets and laneways. We're back on Victoria Street. You know, one of the things we've actually noticed is that this is not as much chaos on the street. There's still dealing happening. I think we might have just seen some. Yeah, no. There'll be some people that will never go to the injecting centre. Never. They won't go there. You know, for four decades, even longer, people have been, there's been a drug market here, people have been running and hiding and injecting, and, but it's still heaps better than, than what it was, you know. So, um, like, we don't have to sit around and wait for the um, expert review panel to tell us it's a success, but we know already that it's just heaps better than it was before. So this is the lane way out here. Um, Now, what you're going to see is the most extraordinary thing that's happened. Three weeks the injecting centre's been open. Just come out and I'll show you. So here you have a laneway with no people injecting in it. So all my life since I've lived here, there have been syringes, swabs with blood, um, the yellow disposal bottles where they put the used needles in all up here and look there's nothing here in the laneways around richmond judy and her neighbors are now having different conversations the only thing someone's dumped an old um microwave there but well you're still in inner city melbourne well that's right yeah 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 you know like i can't expect everything but it is Aoife, this is just it's like when you have a baby You've been carrying it for nine months and it finally comes out and you can't stop smelling it or poking it and seeing if it's alive and wanting to make sure everything's tickety-boo. And I feel like that about the injectings. I want to, I like sort of walking past and, you know, having a look at it and, yeah, it's just, it's just pathetic really. But it's just so amazing that it's happened. If you would like to speak to someone, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Suicide Callback Service, 1300 659 467. That story was originally made for the CBAA's 2018 National Features and Documentary Series. It was produced by Aoife Cook and Georgia Moody was the supervising producer. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mal Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.